Good morning, my chapel family. If I have not told you in a while, I love you guys. Love you very much. I'm glad to be here. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. If I can get situated. So my wife, I wanted to start with a joke, and I prepared, you know, all this different stuff like I did last time, and it went very well in my head, but she said not to, so I'm not going go- <laughs> to do that, and since I'm preaching on, a, you know, obedience today, you know, <laughs> all right, but I did want to uh, bring some sort of news. We are pregnant for the third time, so we are excited about that. I'm probably enjoying it more than she is so far, you know, uh, so we're, we're, we're having a good time. And we love our two boys, and we are so excited about what God has in store for us uh, next. We are, you know, running around, it's, it's fun. Um, so we are glad to share that with you. Um, let's see if I flip over here, get everything organized a little bit. Before I get started, I'd like to pray. You'd uh, bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come here today to receive your word. We ask that as we are good te- God, good uh, listeners, God, good uh, students of your word, that it overflows from us throughout the week and our situations that we have that come up, God, we are easily able to apply the Word of God that comes to us because we are actively and readily uh, in your Word, so we are able to apply it to the world that we are part of. God, we ask that today as we are uh, learning about you and what you want to do to and through us, God, we ask that you give us hearts to hear you in every single situation today. We love you, God. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about, and the uh, title is, The Condition of the Heart. And the condition of the heart, um, whenever, you know, in life, I think we all know this a little bit in our head, but it's a little bit more uh, relevant whenever, you know, you do something to me, and I do something to you, I can judge what I do to you uh, with a lot more grace or gentleness than whatever you did to me. If you did something wrong to me, I'm, I, can, I can add it all up, and I'm very, you know, we can always be very firm on what that looks like, and I believe that's because we have all these other facts, all these other things that we add to what we do. We add uh, intention, we add maybe what we did afterwards, all these things we add up into the judgment that we give to ourselves and the other person. And so we look at that, Now I want to ask you today, have you ever made a mistake? <laughs> and if you think about it, I'm not talking about like a mistake, like you left out an ingredient whenever you're baking a cake, or maybe you forgot to, uh, you know, put on deodorant, that's pretty important, but you know, hey, you know, we, 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 we look at that as, a, as more of an error as rather than a mistake or a big problem that we find ourselves in. And in those situations that are really big, I found myself um, in a couple of them in my life, and you know, I, I think, and I, if you if you can picture that problem, that situation that you were in, first of all, we look overall at the overview of what the situation was. I had a problem with a, you know, th- this was the problem. 
Then we break it down, if we, if we are asked to look further, we break it down into relationships and, and how they affected that problem. Maybe it's a, a boss or a, a spouse or some sort of relationship that we have that we, we apply, well, if this would have done differently, if they would have done whatever, and we start going. But if we're forced to really go in deep into the situation, we can be specific with exactly maybe one or two uh, different things that it was that led to that overall problem or mistake that happened. And so we look at that and if we're forced to, we can come up with the root problem in our own lives. But if we are asked to advise or talk about someone else's mistake, it seems to be reversed. We want to go directly to the source. We don't want the fluff. We don't need the relationship or who or what or why. Or I know this happened, but what was it really at the end of the day? That caused it all. In the 1990s uh, through the early uh, 2000s, there was a prolific art thief. His name was Stefan Brettweiser. And Stefan Brettweiser, in his uh, years of stealing art, uh, stole over 239 different pieces. Uh, it, on an average, you know, uh, Typically, it was about every 15 days. So he was a very consistent art thief. And, it, you know, he, and that was a 178, 179 different museums. So it wasn't like, you know, whatever. And so what one day they did catch him. And, you know, there was a newspaper um, columnist or whatever that found his story very interesting and thought, what, what was it that led you here? What, what kept you there? And what was your thought process? Why you were stealing all this stuff? Was it the fame? Was it the, um, all the money? What, what was the puzzle piece that led you to over and over and over and over and over keep doing it? And you could have gotten away if you would have, you know, somewhere along the way. What kept you going? And Stefan started to describe, well, how he did it, first of all. He said, well, simply I would, you know, come typically in the middle of the day, it wasn't like, you know, you see um, in Oceans uh, 13 or 11 or whatever, which one that's out, where you come in under the cover of night and laser beams are shooting everywhere and you have to be, you know, Indiana Jones, just flip it just real quick and get it just perfect. It's not like that, he said. But I would come in the middle of the day through the front door and I would wear a little bit baggier clothes and I would simply enjoy the museum. And once I found an art piece that I enjoyed, I would choose that art piece and I would simply walk out the front door that I came in. And whenever, he, whenever the, the news reporter is asking this and thinking to himself, well, what, what, how? What, what? And he said, well, uh, Stefan said, well, I, the thing is, I never saw myself as an art thief. I saw myself as an art liberator, a liberator of art. And he, 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 maybe I stole some things, maybe I sold them, but I kept some things at my house, so I was a liberator of art. But we can look at that and laugh and say, actually, he was holding the art hostage. He was doing it for all these malicious reasons, but he justified it in his head to make sense of what he was doing. 
I wonder what kind of sin we are justifying as freedom or liberty or rationalizing it all in our head. We look at these different, as the overall sin that we see in the Bible throughout, and we look at it, and what we start doing is we get very good at categorizing sin. We start separating what God has said is all even, but we start separating, going, well, this is worse, and this is not as bad, and I do what's not as bad, and I, if, if you just would listen to me, I could explain, you wouldn't think it's sin either. And we start looking at it and start going through these situations and we go, well, what's real sin? Murder sin. Murder. And then you look at it and you go, well, adultery, that's evil. Uh, idolatry, devil worship. I mean, I'm not Hollywood. And you start breaking it down into all these different things and you're like, they're sinners and I'm, I'm not. No, not me. And so we start going further and further into the rationalization of what it is. We start justifying the condition of our heart into a point where we can make sense of what sin is and duplicate it over and over and over again. I've made mistakes in my life. I tell my wife, uh, hey, I, wa- I came home the other day, and if you'll have mercy on me, so don't beat me up later. I came home and I said, well, what if we <laughs> cleaned up the house in this way? Or what if we cooked this? I wanted to just be, after I had made that mistake, I quickly just wanted to be a part of the solution, (laughs) whatever that may be. I was all of a sudden willing to be obedient very quickly. Hey, let's come up with whatever that solution is, and we'll be on board. In Exodus 32, uh, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And he has spent all this time with God and, and in his presence. And he comes down, many of us know, and he sees the children of Israel worshiping this idol. And they've made sense of it in their own mind, and they call it Yahweh. They say, this is our God, but that's not God. Moses had just gotten done talking to God. And so he comes down, and in, it says, anger burned inside Moses. And he takes the Ten Commandments, and he throws them and destroys not only the Ten Commandments, but the uh, idol, breaks it into pieces. And God says, and, and tries to correct Moses, and says, what I gave you, you should not have reacted in anger with it. And so you shouldn't have taken the Ten Commandments and broken them over the idol like that. And in our hearts, we see that quickly, and we're like, oh man, okay, I'll, I'll make some adjustments. And we see that, that anger quickly in, in uh, Moses' life, how he, okay, he did this and did that, but he did a lot of good things. Later on, many years later, in Numbers 20, Moses has now you know, been with the children of Israel. He's been leading them for years and years and years. They've, they still have the promise they still looking forward to the promised land. All the good things that are there, they know that it's there. They're, they're, they're aware of it, but because of their disobedience, they have to go a different route. So they're in the uh, desert for 40 years. Well, all the mumbling and groaning and, and uh, frustration that comes from the Israelites started to weigh on Moses. I'm sure it would weigh on any of us. But Moses, in one particular circumstance, they had been going back and forth and traveling all the way around, and they were back to their uh, age-old comment, which was, why did you bring us out here whenever we could have been in Egypt? We, why, bring, why bring us here to die when we could have been in Egypt, at least eating and being servants to people, and we're not out here in this wicked place? And they were complaining about not having food and not having water. And so Moses goes, Moses and Aaron, they go to the temple and they pray, God, help us. We need an answer. 
We need a result. And so God comes to them and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out. There's a rock. There's a big rock over there. I want you to go to that rock. And I want you to speak to the rock. And by your words, you will receive all the water, not only for the Israel, all the people of Israel, but their livestock, more than you could even handle. You'll have more than enough. And so Moses and Aaron feel encouraged, and they leave the presence of God to now go back. And they're on their way to being obedient. But they're on, in the middle of on their way to obedience. They still find themselves in the same problem they just got out of. All the mumbling, all the frustration, all the irritation. All, the, all of that is still there where they left it. And so in that, Moses reacts in anger. And instead, it, it, on his way there, he reacts in anger. And instead of speaking to the rock, he hits it. He strikes it. And water, God's merciful enough not to take it out on all the people of Israel and say, well, no water if you didn't do it my way. He still brings water out and they all, all drink and everything. But God corrects Moses again and says, because you were disobedient, because you did not listen to what I said, Moses, you will not see the promised land. See, we find ourselves in that many times that we, we find ourselves, we've done so much for you, God. I've done so much and now my life is ruined because of a mistake. Everything that I have is gone, and it's frustrating, it's painful, but God gave us something new. See, and further on in the New Testament, you see uh, Peter, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's thinking, man, I got this and that, they just got out of a party, and now uh, Jesus even forecasts it and goes, Peter, you think you have everything together, but I'm telling you, if you don't stay here and pray with me, you're going to be denying me. You won't, you, you, you won't, you'll deny that you ever knew me. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter, I'll never, never, Jesus. I promise I'll never do that. I'm going to be so faithful to you. I love you. I'm never going to do that. So I'm going to go sleep. And so he goes over there and does that. But what, what, what happens? He does deny Jesus three times. In all of his commitment, and we get there too. We're committed to God. We're focused on God. We want to do the best. Our heart condition is, I want to do it for you, God. But then we still make mistakes. How do we ever get back to where we want to be? Well, just a few hours later from Peter denying Jesus, he dies on the cross for you and for me. And Jesus doesn't stay dead. He comes back for all of us. And in that new promise, he comes to Peter. He comes to Peter in uh, John 21. And he tells Peter, Peter, do you love me? I love you, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. And he tells him, do you love me? I do, I do love you a second time. Feed my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus is insistent. Peter, do you love me? And he's frustrated. He's here. Jesus, please, I love you so much with everything that I have. But I believe God, Jesus, was doing something with Peter. Peter had all these thoughts in his head like we have. Because of what I've done, I cannot do what I want for Jesus. I can't be who I want to be. I can't be a leader now. I can't lead the disciples. I can't speak like I want to speak. Because of what I've done, I've lost who I can be. I can't get back. I can't, I can't regain the, 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 
the situation that I've gone through. I can't be restored. And Jesus, I believe, in that moment was telling Peter, if you love me, you can do everything through me. You can feed my sheep. You can have a plan. You can have a promise. And the promise that you had is not just a, a painful remembrance, but it's today. And if you're with me, Peter, you'll move forward with me. See, I believe in, in, in permanently that in our heart condition, if we look at it and we go, what's the deal? What can I do? If we love Jesus, if we love him with all our hearts and we take it in, then we will start to begin following a pattern of obedience that will lead to the promise that we have. And in that obedience, in that faithfulness to God, we will find ourselves back to where we originally were before the mistake. We'll be restored in a way that we could never get there. But what about Moses? I find myself as Moses. I can never get back what I had. I might be able to look over into the promised land, but I'll never be able to reach what I got, what I, my, what I sacrificed my whole life for. I can't get back there. Well, in Matthew 17, whenever Jesus is about to be taken back up to heaven, two men come back, and Elijah and Moses, now, on this side of the cross, we have a way back to everything that we lost. Everything that we couldn't have with him. On this side of the cross, we have a path. Of, if we are obedient, we have a place in Jesus. Amen? We have a place that we can be secure in who he is. We don't live in the past, the old promise of pain that we have to live through it, that we have to experience it. But now we can see a promise that, that is still with us. We didn't lose it, but God, the same God that rose him from the dead, if he rose Jesus from the dead, then he can fix anything that I've done. If I believe it, if I truly believe that he beat death, I, I haven't seen anyone else do that. Can he fix any frustration with my wife? Can he fix any problem with my children? Can he fix the problem at work? I have a promise and he will fix my problems. And if we are committed to Jesus, committed to him in every way, we can stand firm that our life is safe in Jesus. Our life is safe in Jesus, amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for... Everything that you have for us, you have a plan, a purpose, and you don't have to get a new one. You're so big, God, that you can find a way. You can restore back the pain to a promise. You can fix everything. God, if our hearts are right, if the condition of our hearts is correct, you see the obedience. You see through the moment of a mistake, and you fix us to be back like glorified children. You love us, God. We are your children. You've committed to us. You're not going to leave us, God. God, help us to have faith in moments where we feel like we don't see it, where we feel like we're alone, like it's never going to happen. God, give us the faith to be committed to you no matter what we might feel like. We love you, God. Help us today. Amen.